All right, welcome to the latest episode of the Laravel podcast. Uh, I've got... Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer, and I got two other hosts joining me. Guys, introduce yourselves. I am Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. The Jeffrey Way and the Taylor Otwell. Explosion sounds. We've been gone for a couple of weeks. Babies everywhere. Babies are just flying out of places <laughs> all over. Uh, I'm back in the saddle. My business partner, Dan, just had a baby. Uh, his wife had a baby this week. And then Jeffrey, you know, you guys are back, kind of, kind of back to normal life a little bit. Are you sleeping through the night yet? Uh, the baby isn't sleeping through the night just yet. Um, she wake, but she only wakes <laughs> up once or twice a night. So it was, it isn't so bad. And okay. you know, what am I saying? I'm sleeping through the night. You know, it, it's kind of hard. <laughs> like when the baby wakes up, there's not much I can do. Um, yeah. I can give moral support, like I say, up. and usually yeah, exactly. that's like, I'll, I'll rub my wife's shoulder, but I'm back to sleep yep. in two minutes. Yeah. 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 I, I, I've mentioned this a lot, but I watch my most TV and read my most comic books when in the middle of the night, baby wakes up and won't go back to sleep. And I'm like, here, I'll, you know, I'll take her. It's good. You go sleep for a little bit. And so I'm sitting there, you know, with my phone in front of my face, headphones plugged in, finally catching up on Daredevil and reading <laughs> through comics. So cool. So we have a lot of just kind of miscellaneous things that have been going on recently. Number one, most exciting thing, uh, project that was released and within a couple hours already everywhere all over the entire internet yarn um, which i read somewhere was actually originally kitten package manager kpm and the yarn is a reference to that which i kind of love mm -hmm. um so so who wants to tell about yarn jeffrey yeah tell sure. Me something about yarn sure uh, i actually covered it up covered it on Laracast today uh, at the time of this recording. Nice. You can find it on the site. So Yarn is basically yet another package manager, but it, it's not something you need to be upset about. Uh, so basically, it's sort of like a replacement for NPM, which is funny because you install it through NPM. Um, but yeah, you know, like when you do NPM install to pull in all of the Elixir crap for Laravel, and um, it takes like five minutes, and then you go get coffee while it's working, uh, that's basically no longer a thing for you. So... You install it, and it's basically a replacement from that point. Uh, it'll create a yarn.lock file, which is, which is sort of like your composer.lock file. It just lists all of your dependencies and the exact versions for every single one of those. So if you commit that, you can then share it with everyone on your team. And then when they do basically a, a yarn command, which is like the equivalent of npm install, it basically means that every single person on your team is going to install the exact same version. Uh, which w w it was always a problem before because it'll work for one person, but then the other guy on your team will do an NPM install and they'll get a slightly different version and then things will break and it, it was sort of a nightmare. So this fixes that and it's like four times as fast. So for example, with um, with a new Laravel project, you can install all of the uh, the package dependencies in like seven seconds, which is which is crazy. I love it. So is there is there any drama, guys, about Yarn? Uh, not by anyone that actually does deployments with npm or anything real i don't think because it's just yeah. so much better like a lot of people if they use forge if they're not committing their compiled assets into source control they'll run npm install in their forge deployment script which can take like 10 minutes to run npm install 
Um, so, and then you're, we don't keep the queue workers open, you know, for 15 or 20 minute deployments per deployment. Like, um, they time out after I think eight minutes. And so if you have yarn and you have a lock file, then it drastically reduces your deployment time. So you can ship changes faster or get a bug fix out faster or whatever. Uh, so it's a lot better, you know, and if anyone I think that's deployed with NPM has felt that pain a little bit. Yeah. So speaking of Forge, I know that you made some changes to Forge and to the Laravel installer uh, based on Yarn. Tell us what you did. Yeah, so um, when you create a new Forge server, we've always installed Node and NPM, and we've installed a Gulp and PM2, actually, which is a process manager that's written in Node. Um, but now we also install Yarn um, so that um, if you have a fresh Forge server, it just saves you the step of SSHing into the server and manually installing it every time you make a server. So you're pretty much ready to go. If you already have a yarn lock file, you can just add uh, a yarn command to your forge deployment script and it will install your dependencies since yarn is already installed. Oh yeah. Uh, when you do Laravel new, um, using the Laravel installer, so Laravel new blog, um, that includes a yarn.lock file now as well. It's always included a composer.lock file, which makes installing your composer dependencies really fast if you use Laravel new compared to, say, just git cloning um, Laravel slash Laravel. So now it also has the yarn.lock file so that when you pull, when you do Laravel new, you can immediately just run yarn right after that, and it's um, a lot faster than it was previously just running npm install. And if somebody hears that and they says, I, I'm angry, I don't want new technology, uh, I don't want to use Yarn, the answer is, okay, go delete Yarn.lock and just run NPM install and it works just fine, right? Yeah, if you like things being slower, sure, that would be a very good solution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For <laughs> There's some reason. There's like no reason to. This is seriously one like nobody needs to to be upset over it. No, there's no point. Like you can switch over in 45 seconds. Like literally all you do is you can do this through the podcast. Do NPM install dash G uh, Yarn. And then for any new project, rather than npm install, just type yarn, and it'll be like four times as install fast. Install yarn. And safer and more secure. And Install yarn pkg. Is actually oh, that's what it is. I think they changed that, though. They changed it? I, I was looking at that earlier. I think it's just yarn now. Oh, that'd be nice. Anyways, either way, yeah, I mean, there's nothing to learn here. Uh, y- you can figure it out in 45 seconds, which is nice. Yeah, and we'll we'll link to the yarn uh, documentation and yarn layer casts in the show notes too. So if you're interested, go check it out. Um, so speaking of new things in Forge, you've rolled out quite a few other Forge improvements in the last couple of weeks. Can you give us a kind of heads up on what you've been doing there? Yeah, so I've been focusing on Forge pretty heavily the past few weeks. Um, so let's see, improvements that have come out. Um, just today we shipped uh, GitLab support as sort of a first party integration. So we've had GitHub and Bitbucket and you can always do custom Git repositories um, from any source control, really. But we added GitLab as sort of a first-party thing, so it's it's just a little easier easier mm-hmm. to hook into and easier to set up the push to deploy. Uh, so we shipped that today. Um, other recent features, a uh, big one was the MySQL database and user management. So you can create MySQL databases or MySQL users and right there from the Forge UI. Um, another big one was the PHP version selector. So Previously on Forge, there used to be a little checkbox that you could fall back to PHP 5.6. And that was removed when Ubuntu uh, 16.04 came out, which shipped with PHP 7 by default. But now we actually have a PHP drop-down version selector, which not only lets you select PHP 5.6 or 7.0, but also lets you select PHP 7.1, which is 
still in the release candidate phase of um, the release process, but does include some cool features. So it just lets you spin up a new server and kind of play with some of those features and deploy your app to it, see how it's running. Um, some other little or uh, smaller things are updating your Git remote to point to a new repository. So this was really common where um, if someone was moving from GitHub to Bitbucket or Bitbucket to GitHub or whatever, they can they had to basically email Forge support to have us uh, point Forge at the new repository. But now you can just kind of manage that yourself and update your Git remote. Um, custom VPS load balancers are also now possible where... Um, you can provision a load balancer on any custom um, Ubuntu 16.04 VPS that you have. And uh, more st- more new stuff's coming soon, actually. Um, uh, Jack McDade, you know, a friend who's designed some of the other Laravel stuff, is working on some fresh design stuff for Forge to kind of clean the interface up. Since it's still the original interface that I built in Twitter Bootstrap, you know, CSS back in 2014. So hopefully that will be looking a little fresher soon. Um. I'm I'm extremely thankful for the 5.6 edition. We actually have a uh, one of our sites that is still part CodeIgniter, and so we can't upgrade past 5.6, and so we were needing to move it off AWS and over to um, uh, Linode or something like that, and we couldn't. And we're like, oh no, this is terrible. You know, we we don't know how to do it without Forge. We don't feel like doing it without Forge, and then all of a sudden we can now. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a lot. Um, there are a lot of people in that situation actually um, that have projects that aren't ready for php 7 so um, i'm sure there were quite a few people happy about that cool um so we also have a few um new improvements there's always the the common rolling improvements going on for just little things behind the scenes to um to laravel but there's a kind of more noticeable one that came out publicly recently where you changed or you didn't change but you added a new simpler validation syntax can you tell us a little bit about the the Fluent Builder, both the one that is up and the one that's up for pull request right now? Yeah, so I was going through some of the documentation and came across the uh, unique validator rule in Laravel, which has a pretty complicated format for specifying how you actually want that rule to behave. And it's a really powerful rule, and probably almost everyone that builds a Laravel application uses it because it solves such a practical, common use case of, you know, validate this value is unique in the table. So very common for registration for validating that a given email address is unique in the user's table. But there are other situations where you use it where it gets a little more complicated. For example, if you're going to allow your users to update their email address, like in a profile settings screen, then you want to validate that the email they give you is unique, but you don't care about, like say they, they leave the email unchanged. Well, it's not unique because they already have it, but you don't really want to throw an error in that case because it's already them that owns the email. So there's little like little edge cases that that unique rule tries to solve by letting you pass in like five or six parameters into it. Um, And it's hard to remember and was sort of just lame and didn't really fit with like the feel of the rest of Laravel, which tries to be very polished. And so I kind of came up with this idea to where you could have a, a fluent syntax for building it, like an object syntax, but then that object would just have a two-string method which cast it down into the more complicated string format for the validator. And so now instead of having to remember this kind of magic string format, you can just say rule unique, and then you can chain on like ignore, and then give it an ID to ignore, and then chain on a where method to customize the query that actually makes the unique call. And it's all, you know, um, a lot easier to remember and and more readable um, for the consumer. 
and probably better if you use an IDE or something because you actually have um, method completion and stuff like that on the object. So, uh, so we did that for both unique and exists, which is sort of a complementary validation rule to validate that a given um, value exists in the database. Um, and then there's a pending pull request for the image dimensions validation rule, which I actually haven't used personally, but it lets you validate sort of the width and height or aspect ratio of an image so that it's not too big or too small or whatever. Um, there's a fluent builder for that because it has three or four options um, itself. So that's, I think that's a pretty nice improvement and it was uh, fully backwards compatible since all it does is really implement that two string so that the object can be converted to the validation string representation um, of itself at any time. So pretty slick and pretty nice way to improve that syntax. Now, is that in 5.3? Like, is that available to use right yeah, now? Yeah, it's available right now in the in the latest 5.3 release. And the documentation has been updated for the both of those situations. Sweet. Yeah, it's really nice. I think just about every single person would have to refer back to the documentation yeah. when you do have that mm-hmm. long comma-separated yeah, list. Yeah, even I refer back to it. It's nice that it. it's a fluent API. Even I refer back to it every time I have to do it, basically. Yeah. And I, oh, I think something I realized recently is that there are are very few cases in which you want to do unique or accept or accept or anything like that where it shouldn't have one of those kind of conditionals like basically unless you're creating a new instance of something like a new user or whatever and you're just checking against the pre-existing usernames or pre-existing email almost everything else updates and all this kind of stuff should all really have those conditions so if we're using that kind of uniqueness validation one place in the site it's very likely at least one other place in the site should have the more complex. So something for you to note, if you find yourself using that and you're like, oh, I've never used it the more complex way, pay attention because you might have, for example, like an update user profile screen where if somebody doesn't change their username, they get an error saying that username's already taken because you kind of have not considered this edge case. So it's something to pay attention to for sure. And this definitely makes a lot easier to build. Um, One thing I wanted to talk about real quick, just an interjection is... um, uh, you mentioned the fact that it, this uh, object implements a two-string. Um, and so I'm guessing that whatever um, this validation thing is passed into, the rule um, casts to string before it actually does its parsing. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, it will just, it'll just cast whatever the rule is to a string. And a lot of times that's already going mm-hmm. to be a string. But then when it's not, um, it will just be formatted kind of just in time um, for the validation to run. So there's a there's a thing that you've done a lot in the Laravel code base that has kind of influenced the way that we write some of our code in Titan, which is um, different ways of handling multiple different types of input to something to both allow for like different syntaxes, but also to allow for like either shortcuts or more legible things in certain contexts. And one of the things that we've noticed, I mean, and that's that's true across the board. I think that was like a really early way of doing it. Like, for example, when when your route definition gets passed a string, then it's supposed to be identifying a controller. When it gets passed a closure, then it's supposed to be defining a route closure. Simple things like that where you can pass something and Laravel kind of senses which one you're using by checking the type of the first parameter or the second parameter or the counter parameters, whatever it ends up being. And that that in general is a really interesting pattern and it's fun looking at the core, seeing how that's implemented. But one that we have found ourselves using almost everywhere that reduces a lot of code is that first parameter can either be a something or it can be an array. Um, And if it's not an array, then the first line basically says, if not array, wrap it in array, now keep going. And at that point, you can now assume that they're all an array. 
and it's brilliant. Like all of a sudden now every single, you're no, no longer doing this single versus multiple checks. You don't have to have one that does one and one method that does one and one method does, does multiple. You add that single kind of three line check, if not an array, wrap it in an array. And then all of a sudden now you can just treat all of them as, as if they're an array. I love it. Like that really kind of, it's just, a, I don't know if it has a name, uh, but I love that pattern. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all we just find ourselves doing it all this, the time We're like this, hey, did, you, did you learn about on that on this topic of um sort of methods taking multiple signatures in a way which in php i mean mm-hmm. if we could do method overloading of course it would it would be a lot easier but since we probably will never have that in php just because of the nature of the language we need to bug um adam wathen to release his overloadable trait which has never been publicly really, really released i think but is mm-hmm. some real voodoo magic to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> it is. We'll have to, uh, people yeah. have to tweet him if they hear the podcast and make that available. Yeah. Yeah. You should all ev- the, like pause the podcast right now, pull over your car on the side of the road and tweet at Adam, release your overloadable yeah. trait. Do you have an overloadable just, just trait that. that we can see? Uh, yeah. Something like that. And it's interesting because I think that just knowing that that's a thing in other languages and then having seen him do that voodoo brought to, to like, gave my mind the the freedom to like think of that as a valid programming practice you know what i mean like oh no this is an okay thing to do just because our language doesn't have it like in the in the core doesn't mean that that's not a valid kind of programming practice to consider oh, yeah. so i used to do it all the time in c sharp all right i mean you got to tell me how, how does that work oh man. I, i'm trying I can't to figure even out how this we looked at it we wrote it i mean we we sort of like riffed on it months ago um that it would be possible to do this like weird overloadable thing. And then he kind of hacked on it. And then like, a, uh, it was just a couple of days ago. I was like, Hey, do you still have that overloadable trait? And we were looking at it and we were like, man, we were like on some kind of like drug <laughs> or high when we wrote this. Cause it is really weird. But basically how it works is like you use the trait and then you have, you have the single method. Um, so you have a method called foo but it doesn't actually define any parameters in its signature because you're just going to use the the mm-hmm. PHP 5.6 like dot 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 args thing to unpack them. But mm-hmm. then you call, you do like return this overload and you pass it like, there's multiple ways you can call it, but you can pass it like multiple closures and it will inspect the signature of the closures to say what did the args match, like which closure do the past arguments match and then it will call that closure or you can pass it like a callback to call like this method on the class if the arguments match this signature or whatever. So it lets you sort of like, it does kind of the routing of two like different methods or different closures based on signatures and stuff and dynamic arguments, but it's pretty hardcore. Uh, We'll get them to release the code. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty slick. It's the kind of stuff that like the PHP elite would like totally hate on <laughs> i was gonna say somebody listening to this is having a heart attack right yeah. now but it's totally awesome like we should have him release it i like it um okay uh so next one speaking of php php 7.1 came out recently you mentioned about being able to use it on forge and there's a the i don't i know this is really silly but i like the convenience of the fact that you can accept multiple exceptions in one of your catch blocks yeah. but you had mentioned something about async signals and how this infected your work in queues can you tell us more about that uh yeah so in php 7.1 there's a new function called uh pc ntl for process control underscore async underscore signals and you pass it true and what it does is it lets you use signals and um, we use it for alarms 
um, without using this funky declare ticks syntax, which I don't know if you've ever seen before, but in PHP you can do Mm-mm. like declare ticks equal one, and it lets you mess with process signal process signals and forking and stuff. Um, but in seven dot one you can just do process control async signals, and you never have to do any of that declare tick stuff, and there's no performance penalty either because previous in previous versions of PHP there was a pretty significant performance penalty with that declare tick stuff because. And I'm not uh, really a PHP internals person, but from my understanding is that after every tick, if you say ticks equal one, after every sort of tick of executing some instruction or whatever, it has to check to see if there's any signals or whatever that are ready to go. And uh, long story short, it works differently apparently now to where there's not that same sort of performance hit. Um, and so the benefit for Laravel is it lets us greatly simplify how we manage uh, the daemon queue workers. So if you have a daemon worker um, and you specify a timeout, say, I don't want any workers to last longer than six, 60 seconds. Um, in your queue worker, what we actually do is turn on async signals if we see that PHP 7.1 is installed. And this is already in the latest PHP 5.3. Um, if we see that PHP 7.1 is what you're using, we will turn on async signals and then register um, an alarm signal handler and then register an alarm to go off in 60 seconds. And we just reset that alarm every time through the queue loop or whatever. And so it just makes it really clean to sort of create these sort of self-monitoring PHP programs that can die off after a given timeout. And it basically lets you do um, sort of like a set interval um, in PHP kind of an async set interval like you would in JavaScript, yeah. except you can do it in PHP now with uh, PHP 7.1. So it's... it's. I was just going to ask if it was like yeah, set interval, so that pretty makes Pretty much just... That's how we're basically using it. And it's it's really nice because it makes the, the code to handle that kind of thing really simple. So if you if you make a PHP you know 7.1 server and deploy Laravel 5.3 to it and start a daemon worker, it will be using the new um, async signals already. Taylor, can I create a 7.1 server with Forge yet? Yeah, you can do that. It's the new uh, in the new dropdown selector thing. Sweet. Yeah, so yeah, spin one up and play with it if you haven't and try out some of that new stuff. The exception stuff that Matt mentioned is also really nice because there are a few places in Laravel where we have to define basically the exact same exception handling block or we have to like delegate it out to some other method just to dry up the code for multiple exception types. And so that's that'd be really nice to clean up as well. So is that where you you separate your exception names by a pipe? Yeah, yeah. So a single block can catch multiple exceptions. I've I've seen people actually have multiple exceptions either extend or be extended by another one or whatever it ended up being, just so that they can catch them in the same block. And it's just ridiculous. It's so much better this way. Yeah, that's painful. So now you would just say catch foo exception pipe bar exception pipe, and then you can handle either of those cases. Very cool. Um, all right, next on the docket, uh, LairCon 2017. You've been tweeting a little bit about it, so it, it's obvious this is the time in the year where you're starting to think about where, when, why. Uh, you had a couple polls up, and it looked like San Francisco and New York were definitely up. What's what's the latest? What's the newest? How are you feeling about LairCon? Um, busy. Um, you know, it's, it's actually <laughs> getting pretty late in the year, and I need to nail down a venue already. But, um, yeah, I've been getting quotes from several cities, you know, because um, – a third year in Louisville, I think, would would not be ideal. You know, I'd like to change it up um, personally. Um, so I have quotes on venues in Chicago. I have a quote from San Diego. I have a quote from San Francisco. Um, and I have an application to get a quote from a, a place in New York that I actually uh, looked at a couple of years ago when we had Laracon in New York. 
but we sort of weren't really big enough for it at the time. Um, since this is more of like a 500 person venue and we were more looking for like a 200 person venue, um, back a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, it's just a matter of sort of comparing the cost of those places and matching that up to where do people actually want to go and where are the biggest Laravel communities? Because one of the, I really liked uh, the Laravel venue and it will be very difficult to find a venue like that good in terms of convenience and just um, size and sort of niceness again, probably in, in that large of a city like New York or San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the downsides is you're not drawing a lot of like sort of local people. So like when we had uh, Laracon in New York city, we sold, this was in 2014, we sold 150 tickets just in New York city. Um, so, and that was a couple of years ago and Laravel has basically tripled in size literally, um, since then. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you can get in a major, um, metropolitan area where, for example, like San Francisco, the Laravel meetup.com group already has 215 people that are interested in Laravel, um, just in San Francisco and San Diego is also, you know, over 200 people. Um, so, you know, trying to get into a more of a, a destination um, that people are interested in going to or even like vacationing to, and then also has a large Laravel crowd, and then matching that up with what's the most cost effective for us to host, you know, a nice event that's sort of up to par with the quality of events that we like to have. Um, so, yeah, it's hopefully we, I can nail down a venue, you know, here in the next week or two, and then start getting a website up because usually tickets go on sale in, in December or January. So it's actually getting really close. Yeah. It's rough because San Francisco would be my top choice easily, but I would also assume it's going to be your most expensive, maybe even worse than New York. Strangely. I'm not sure about that, but, but maybe yeah. San Francisco is kind of ridiculous. I remember I went there a couple of years ago with my family and we just went to a little Mexican restaurant in town and got a pitcher of margaritas. And where I live in Chattanooga, that's like nine bucks, you know, for a big pitcher. Uh, and there it was like $50, you know, yeah. so, it, oh it's, it's, so like, it's kind of to painful. To give you an idea, because I, I don't really think it matters to discuss like the actual numbers, but like um, it depends where you get your venue, you know. So like in, in Kentucky and in Louisville, we had the theater and we had to do minimal decor, you know, to that venue because they already had this whole nice theater with chairs and they had tables down in the lobby and all that. But with like a San Francisco venue, a lot of times you're having to rent sort of an empty shell and then you have to spend like one quote for decor just for like chairs, stage, lounge furniture, um, you know, registration desk. That's like $30,000 um, to bring all that stuff in. And then you're probably spending about 50000 on the venue. So it's a lot. It is a lot more expensive. But uh, hopefully that's sort of offset by having a bigger crowd um, in that area. And, you know, so we'll see. I still have another quote to get, you know, so I can make some final comparisons. Well, if you find yourselves uh, you stay, wanting to stay West Coast and moving moving uh, outside of a big city a little bit, we've got a couple people in San Diego. We've done a couple Titan on sites there, and they're really nice. I don't I don't think you'd actually do it because it's not that big of a city, but I do know they have a Laravel meetup. So, okay, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the one responsible yeah, for that. Yeah, and just to mention, just to not neglect Laracon EU, I know they're already deep into planning uh, Laracon EU 2017, you know, getting preliminary. I've Mm -hmm. seen preliminary designs for graphics and stuff. And yeah, so the planning is already underway basically as soon as the previous year is finished. Jeez, that's crazy. I assume they're still in Amsterdam. Yeah, as far as I know. Cool. 
Well, we're getting late in the in the show today. So one last thing I wanted to cover. Um, View 2.0. View has a has a love, love, love uh, relationship with the Laravel community. There's a lot of View components native, and View 2.0 came out. I know you updated the um, the usage of View in the Laravel Bootstrap to 2.0. Um, are there other things that are still not in 2.0 and did you have, was there any kind of difficulty in doing that? And, and also finally, have y'all updated any one dot star apps up to 2.0 yet? Um, we're about to update spark to 2.0 next week. So that will be my first app, um, to migrate from 1.0 to 2.0. Um, but I think everything is up to date for 2.0 in terms of the Laravel stuff. We don't, we don't really have a ton of view integration in Laravel itself. Um, we mainly just set up a uh, view resource and view and mm. sort of set it up to send the CSRF token for you. But then Passport has a little more integration if you choose to use those built-in components. And that has been updated so that it actually worked with view one or view two. Um, so no matter which one you're using, Passport will work fine. Um, but yeah, you know, I kind of wanted to wait a couple of weeks to update Passport because we had just released Laravel 5 to, or, uh, to update Spark, I mean, because we had just released Laravel 5.3 and I didn't want to come back with, oh, here's another thing, you know, you have to update, you know, two days later, basically. Um, so uh, probably next week we'll start working on getting that ready. I have plans to, to upgrade the Laracast code base to Vue 2. I'm kind of dreading it, honestly, because I do I do have a lot of fun stuff where I use .sync and uh, that mm-hmm. was removed in Vue 2. Uh, so I'm a little worried about that, to be honest. But I also saw, I, I haven't tried it yet, but I saw that there's like a little command line utility, which is it was pretty smart. I wish Laravel had this, actually. Well, I guess you have Laravel, um, of course, I can't even, Shift. Shift, which is pretty amazing. But anyways, with Vue, it's like, I guess it's a command line utility you run, and it will scan your code base and basically tell you what you need to do. So it'll say like, here's an issue that doesn't work in Vue 2, here's how you fix it, and here's a reason why uh, this change was made which is pretty sharp. Yeah, I don't have any massive applications in Vue, but I definitely have quite a few either smaller open source projects or components. And I I, I don't know if this is reflective of the fact that I just don't know how to do Vue well or what, but I have a lot of sync. <laughs> like I haven't, <laughs> I haven't upgraded any of them and I know that that's definitely going to be my pain point. That's interesting. So. See, I never used that. Like in, I don't know, I've never used that before, but I know Adam was saying he has the same problem all over his apps and y'all do too. So I don't know. So, I mean, for me, it ends up being there's some kind of high-level shared data element that is going to be updated or viewed and or I guess it can't be just viewed. So, going to be updated in a child, whether it's a, you know, a button or a form or whatever. There's some need to kind of keep that data up and down the chain. And I know that theoretically I should have done eventing or whatever else, but it was just like, just pass it in with sync. And then when you update it in the component, then it's updated everywhere. Good to go. So that's I don't I don't know if you do that would you, would you have done that more of the way they do now with either events or uh, calling methods um, or in Spark we all, we always use events so like a child component will fire an update an event that says update user and then it will bubble all the way up to whoever updates that and then it will come back all the way back down when the props updated. Well, it seems like you 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 are ahead of the game probably by um, accident. I'm I'm looking <laughs> probably because <laughs> I didn't even know that sync existed or else I probably would have used it too. Yeah. Well, I, I, so with Dan out of the office with a new baby, I, I am lucky if I can get my actual job done and I'm looking forward to him being back because I like him, of course, but also because I'm so behind on blogging and stuff. And one of the things at the top of my head is to just grab an open source project, turn on Twitch and do the view two upgrade. A lot of my first kind of fun interactions with view and with Evan were, uh, 
learning Vue out loud by just twitching like me writing my first app ever. So I'm going to do the same thing with Vue too, so that people can watch somebody awkwardly stumble through the upgrade <laughs> process. So yeah, it's cool. On that note, yeah, it's nice. I, I saw that you finally got a new uh, five minute geek show out. So that that was a nice surprise. <laughs> Sick burn. Yeah, no, I'm no, back. I'm no, back. that wasn't a burn. Yeah, I was going to say that was, that was a passive you... aggression right there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I didn't mean it that way at all. I mean, obviously no. you had a baby, so it was nice to see yeah. that you're getting back into that a little bit. Thank you, my I friend. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny because the, actually the bigger impact on my life and time right now was not having a baby, but the fact that my son started going to school. And the school he's at is a preschool where there's no bus. So I drive him into school every morning. I wake him up. I get him dressed. I feed him breakfast. I drive him to school every morning. And then in the middle of the day, I pick him up, drive him home, feed him lunch. And it takes like an hour and a half. So basically, the baby has had small impact because like my wife probably could have done that without the baby. But the bigger impact is just like all of a sudden there's these big bounce. Like in the past when I wanted to geek out on something, I'd just go to Starbucks at five o'clock in the morning. You know, wake up super early, go to Starbucks, knock out three hours of side t- side work, and all of a sudden that's not an option. So I'm definitely having to adjust how you find those little moments for your own side projects in a way I, I, I wasn't able to before, so. But anyway, thank you. Thank you. For, oh, speaking speaking of, of side projects, you changed the theme song. And, and I found that every time I hit the Laravel snippet button, I'm I'm starting to sing the old theme song, and then all of a sudden this new kind of like Nashville one comes on. Was that you just wanted to change? Was that the the thing? Yeah, I just wanted to change it. It's more yeah, my like style, it. honestly. I know a lot of people yeah. are pissed, but um, I'm it's not, so I'm funny because the 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 intro is an actual real song, and everyone's like, "Bring back the stock music that you got on a uh, you got from Envato." <laughs> right. So it's pretty right. funny. But no, I just feel like the the new one's a little more uh, to my taste. It does seem more your style. Cool. All right. Uh, the last item in our Trello board says, funny question from Matt, because I haven't actually put one. So I'm going to say one that uh, I probably don't have an answer for, and I hope this is not inappropriate. Did y'all have a, either an, an indivisible friend or a stuffed animal or both that you just like totally were obsessed with growing up? Um, not not in a very obsessed way. Um, my daughter, Victoria, has more stuff like that. I never really had an invisible friend or stuffed animal that I can remember. I had a blanket, actually, would be the best equivalent. So I had this yellow blanket um, that I would carry everywhere, and it had, like, the silk edges, you know, so that I would, like... Because I was a thumb sucker when I was a kid, so I I would, like... say, would you suck on the... Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I had that for a long time, actually, probably till I was a solid, like, kindergartner or first grader. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um... I obviously had a blanket, but I also had uh, this little stuffed dog that I carried around, carried around everywhere. And I, I even remember, like, I have issues about this still to this day. <laughs> My older siblings were such jerks. They would take the dog, the stuffed animal's oh, head, on. and, like, twist it in 360s over and over. And then when they would let go, his head would, like, rotate all the way back over and over. And I was pissed as a little nightmares. kid. And I'm still kind of bitter about it now that I think about it because eventually, like, the dog's head came off and it, it was this big thing for me as a kid. That explains so, a lot um, about Jeffrey, I feel like. I'm glad, I'm glad he <laughs> shared that. Everything you need to know about me stems from my toy dog's head being uh, torn off. So that's Jeez. a bit morbid. What about that, you, <laughs> That sounds really traumatic, though. And so the funny thing is I had a stuffed animal growing up. Like, I think almost everybody in my family, like, had one stuffed animal that, like, their stuffed animal. I know my younger brother had a bear. But I can't for the life of me in the last five minutes since I came up with the idea. I can't remember what it was. So maybe that explains something about me. I don't know. I can't. I remember I had it. It wasn't. I didn't take it everywhere. I basically like slept with it every night. 
Um, but it actually came to my mind because my son has, I don't even know how many, he calls them his buddies. And he's got probably at least 10 of, 10 of them. And he'll sleep with a different one every night. And um, one of them is a giant stuffed Iron Man. And the giant stuffed Iron Man goes a lot of places with him. But like when we travel somewhere, he has to pick which of his buddies he's going to take with him. And he'll like pack them up in the bag. And like when he leaves in the morning, he'll say bye to all his buddies. And then it's just, I don't know, it's it's cute. So he his bed is like half him and half like assortment of all of his buddies all lined up along the top of the bed. And he, every night he like kind of looks at them and figures out which one. So, so is Iron Man his, his favorite superhero? I, yes and no. I, I, some, some days I think it's Iron Man and some days I think it's, um, Captain America. He has more Captain America merchandise, like shirts and hoodies and all that stuff. But I think maybe Captain America was like his when he was a little bit younger favorite. Mm-hmm. And I think Iron Man's his favorite now. So although when you ask him who his favorite is, it's it's we for his birthday, we got him a custom thing with like with like the first letter of his name in the back. And, it, you know, it's and it's it's, you know, I try not to like say his name all, all the time on on the Internet. I don't know if that matters. But anyway, it's Super Kai. That's basically his thing. And so he's so we say, who's your favorite superhero? And he's like Super Kai. And I'm like, that's mine, too, buddy. So that's who he's going for as as for Halloween, actually, as Super oh, that's Kai. fun. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right. Well, I think that's it for today, guys. This has been uh, I'm glad that, that we're back in it. Uh, I'm I'm back in the saddle for five minute geek show. We're back in the saddle for Laravel podcast. And it's nice to have breathing room every once in a while. But uh, we're going to get back to a regular posting schedule. So you'll have a lot to look forward to The actually the number one thing that I plan to do when I find some of that twitch time is to get that thing done. What did I call I had a cute name for it. But basically where it was allowing y'all to to request things for us to talk about in the podcast. It's 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 like 98% done. I'm going to put it on the internet i'm going to make it happen hopefully before the next one so that we can start taking requests for stuff for us to talk about and hopefully uh really great great and highly voted requests will be something that would uh will, will kind of motivate us to to get back in on a regular basis oh it's called suggestive that's my goal if i don't have it done by next podcast you guys can i don't know do something that makes me regret not having it done How i'm about making that? a note about this right now <laughs> I'm, uh, good that's gonna motivate Matt me about suggestive next week <laughs> oh, done. okay i need to make a note to do it so i don't have whatever embarrassing <laughs> thing happen to me cool pleasure talking to you as always thank you everybody for tuning in till next time this is the laravel podcast and we'll see you later <laughs>